What's the song? It's Christmas Eve. Yeah. I don't think I'm singing the song right. I don't even know what song you're trying to sing. It's a Christmas song. They go dun 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 dun. Okay, I think I know what song you're talking about. But I don't know the lyrics. Um. Well. Merry Shouldn't Christmas, you know? I guess. I don't know. I really don't like Christmas carols. Did you know? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And this is Honda. Welcome to episode 70 and a very Merry Christmas to everyone. Regardless if you celebrate it or if it's just like a fun holiday to get together with friends and family. Yes. Hope everyone had a good Christmas. We are recording this episode on Christmas Eve. And we're both dead exhausted. (laughs) Uh. Oh my God. Okay. Honda, yesterday I had to go and do last minute Christmas shopping. Mm Mm-hmm. Because my sister um, had like a stomach flu, so she couldn't like follow me. So I had to do it, right? Oh my God, I hate it. Um, I think this is not even a pro tip. Everyone just knows this, but don't ever go shopping two days before Christmas. It's crowded fact, everywhere. Yeah. In fact, I would say like, don't go shopping on the week of Christmas. Like do it way beforehand. Yeah, because, okay, also, um, the mall that's closest to my house, this is one particular shop that I would always go to if I really need to get last-minute gifts. Because um, for me, the best last-minute gift is to get the person a mug. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, there's a store that sells, like, cute stuff, and they sell really nice mugs. So yesterday I went to the mall and the shop is no longer there. Oh my god. Yeah, I think it closed because of COVID. And you didn't even know. I didn't know because your neighborhood mall. Yeah, I know. Because this mall, right? I mean not this mall, this store is on the higher floors. So Uh, I don't really go to those floors unless like I need to go there. Most of the stuff that I need are on the lower floors of the mall. Yeah, so I went up there and I was searching because I know exactly where this store, like the, the store is. I went there and it was no longer there. It was replaced by something else. And I was like, oh God, now I don't know what to get up this person. Yeah, so that was fun. I even went to Kitty's Palace. Oh, that was no. fun too. No, it's actually quite sad because my memories of Kitty's Kitty, Kitty Palace, Kitty's Palace, Kitty Palace. Palace. Kitty Palace. Does it have an apostrophe S? I feel like I'm imagining the apostrophe S. I know. It's one of those things where it's like, if someone asks you what the colours of the Google logo, and you can't tell them, but you know, because you see it so much, but you don't like register it consciously. Uh-huh. Yeah, so anyway, I'm just going to call it Kitty Palace. So I went to Kitty Palace, and the Kitty Palace of my memories... Um has like a pretty large toy section and the one at the mall right has always had 
a really huge toy section and like a much smaller like clothes section. Yesterday when I went in there, the toy section was so small and the clothes section was much bigger. And like it really hit me because it's like kids don't really play with toys much anymore. Mm. I was shook. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's quite hard to find like the traditional wooden type toys too. Yeah, right. So I was like thinking like, what would we get for like really young kids for as gifts? Because the the most default thing is to give an ang pao, right? If like you really don't know what to give the person. Yeah, but for young kids, it's like usually they want gifts. Mm. But I can't think of a single thing kids would like. And the and the toys that are there are really expensive. Oh my gosh, they're like forty dollars and above for like things that are like really really tiny. I'm yeah. What's happening? I guess because they know like parents would spend for their child, so it's like expensive. Yeah. That being said, I came across this really interesting toy. It was eighty nine ninety. So I was like, well, I'm not getting this for anyone. But it's it's called like a fairy light or something. I've seen it on TikTok before. It's like a little fairy light. So it's like roughly the size of a water bottle. So it's quite big. And it's electronically powered. So it's got like little screens and whatnot. And like apparently if you pass by somebody else who has this fairy light toy, you could like exchange fairies or something. Like you keep fairies. It's so cool. It kind of reminded me of like a Tamagotchi, but not so portable. <laughs> not so portable. Yeah, but it's not thinking like, who's this toy marketed for? Mm. Right? It seems too advanced to be for small kids, but it's also a toy, so like adults won't get it. Actually, you know what? I think the perfect age is actually our age. Like, I feel like people in their 20s, those, like, cottage core girls or the cottage core people would want to buy it. And I think good for them. Because it's a really cool toy. It's just, it's $89.90. And I'm like, I got no money for that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of kids' toys are, like, collectibles. So, like, Mm. a lot of adults like to collect it. That being said, I went to another store and they had a whole bunch of, like, cool Marvel toys. Uh, Those are, like, not for children. I mean, they are marketed for kids, but yeah, it's, it's like, that- why would you want to buy your kid this Titan Edition Spider-Man toy worth $21.90? No. It's like, it's so cool because they had like these little toys and they had like Rocket Raccoon and, um, oh my gosh, what was the, what's the girl's name? Valkyrie. They had Valkyrie and they also had like Rocket Raccoon. I was like, oh my God. This is so cool. I saw a lot of older guys there. <laughs> I think they were yeah. buying it for themselves. Yeah. I also went to this other store to look for Funko Pops because apparently it was suppo- this store was supposed to sell Funko Pops. No, they didn't sell Funko Pops, but they saw a lot of anime-like figures. Yeah. So I was just surrounded by like teenage weebs. And I was like, you know what? Good for y'all. Go, go get that. Jujutsu Kaisen toy Whatever it is You know It's so cute I The atmosphere was so festive It's just that I hated it Because I was rushing to buy Things 
and thinking it's on the go. So crowded. It's so crowded because everybody else is also buying last minute gifts. The number of times I literally wanted to like literally push people out of the way so I could get to my destination quickly. And you know, I walk very slowly. Yes. But I was literally rushing yesterday and I was wearing flip-flops. So um, my max speed was also greatly decreased and I just wanted to get home. I spent two hours at the mall walking up and down trying to find gifts. (laughs) Two hours and my battery was dying and... No one was there to help me. So it was great. Was there no candle store? They don't. That's the thing. Um, the sad thing is a lot of stores that I know exactly like, if I need to get this thing, I can go to this store. All those stores are closed down. Okay. And very interestingly, it's more of these electronic stores that are like opening up. Like the ones that sell, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know, massages, power banks or whatever it is. They, they're Replacing those... It's like the studio... It's not studio, but it's like... A, it looks like... They sell like... Cheaper... Like, like yeah. electronic items. Like that's yeah, their... Yeah, yeah. Like that's their strategy. It's essentially all these gadget shops. And I'm like... These gadget shops are replacing gift shops. So... I have yeah. to actively walk around the mall to find things. And... I mean, you might is, find useful things in those gadget shops. Yeah, but it's like depending on if, the if you age know, group. Yeah, if you know what the other ones like specifically. Yeah, essentially, if it was like a teen or someone around my age, I think I would get I could get them a gadget. But I was getting it for my cousins who are pretty young, so I was like, mm. yeah. Well, I hope everybody else has a great Christmas and eat a lot. All right, so Honda, I have a case for you today. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting case. And one uh-huh. that is pretty apt for today because the crime happens on Christmas Eve. Dun, dun, dun. You think that crime would like I don't know Take a maybe break. not happen on like Christmas holiday because you know Christmas is symbolic of what Jesus's birth like the purity and goodness coming to the world because you know he he was born to like save everyone and then people just freaking murder other people on Christmas day so that's great. <laughs> I mean that could also be why they chose that day. You know what? You're right. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Yes. Well, true. Maybe to spite Jesus' birthday, like, you know what? Let's ruin the symbolism of today. So, yes. Today, I will be covering the murder of Samina Iman. And this is an intriguing case because of the day it occurs, as I said, Christmas Eve. Plus, there's something interesting that pops up in this case that I think Honda will like. Not like, like it will pique your interest. I don't think you'd like anything about this case, considering it's a murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm just going to jump right into the story. On Christmas Eve 2014... 
34-year-old Samina Iman, a marketing manager at Costco, was on her way to Birmingham's Malmaison Hotel, where she would be spending Christmas with her boyfriend of two years, Roger Cooper. Roger and Samina had met at their workplace. 42-year-old Roger Cooper was a manager at the Costco store they worked at. This store was located on the outskirts of Coventry. Their workplace did not allow for relationships between senior staff, but this didn't stop the two of them from dating. Thus mm-hmm. began their two-year-long love affair, but unfortunately, not all was well in paradise because Roger also had another long-term partner named Susan Potts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Roger Cooper. <laughs> oh, there's Cursing you. Yeah, he's just like, uh, um, I feel bad for Samina because like this is like I think the first red flag is dating somebody. If like this guy was your manager and he dates you, even though the workplace mm-hmm. says no, I think that's like a first red flag. It shows that he doesn't really, you know. I, I want to say, like, stay true to the rules, but I think it just means that his priorities aren't really straight. I don't know how to articulate it, but I just think it's like a red flag when somebody does something like this. So there's a clear rule that says, I like, don't do it, and they go ahead and do it. I feel like, isn't this quite a common thing to see in like a lot of shows? It is. Oh, my God. Okay, listen. I'm, like, watching... There's this YouTuber called Mike's Mike who has been covering Pretty Little Liars. He's doing a deep dive into the entire show. And like, he's released two videos, okay? The second video that he released today um, is two hours and 17 minutes long. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that... uh, I'm not interesting. I mean, Pretty Little Liars has like a teacher-student relationship. And actually... Mm -hmm. Like, looking back, Pretty the Liars always had the main characters dating older adult men. Like, they would get into, like, relationships or, like, have sexual encounters with adult men. And these girls are meant to be, like, in high school, like, 16. Mm-hmm. And the writer of the show, like, frames it as, like, this romantic thing. But it's really mm. not because power dynamics are just... It's just not it. Yeah, and I think it's it's a similar thing to like what's happening in this case. Like, I mean, these two are two consenting adults. It's not like in Pretty Little Liars where it's like a teacher-student kind of thing. But it's just iffy because once again, he's like the manager mm. and the workplace environment like clearly states that it's a no-no and he still went for it. Yeah, they both went for it. Yeah, so I think that's like a major red flag. I mean, the second red flag being that like he has another partner already, so it just shows that he's unfaithful and his moral compass is just not the best. Yeah. So yes, as I said, um, Samina and Roger um began to date for two years. Um, but after these two years, Samina had started to become restless, and she didn't like that she was sort of the second person in the relationship in the sense where he already had another partner, which was Susan Potts, and then she was there. So this is when she gave Roger an ultimatum. Leave your girlfriend or end our relationship. 
So Roger was like, okay, I'll think about it. So he agreed to this ultimatum. This is why the stay at the hotel on Christmas Day was very important to Samina because it was symbolic of the both of them becoming official. And to Samina, this was her solidifying her relationship with Roger Cooper. So she was no longer going to be, I guess, the side, side woman. She was excited for the date and even bought a bottle of Bellini and some sweet treats. So at 4pm on Christmas Eve, Samina left her workplace after Roger. While the both of them intended to go to the hotel, they left in separate cars. Eventually, they met up and Samina took her luggage from her car and they put it in Roger's. The two of them then proceeded to drive off. But instead of going to the hotel directly, they headed off to... Let's see if I can pronounce this right. They headed off to Leicester. Leicester. I think it's Leicester. L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. Should be Leicester, right? Maybe she's saying in a British accent. They headed off to Leicester. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm going to leave, but... <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so they headed off to Leicester. Roger's brother, David, who was a 39-year-old ex-army reservist, lived there. And so Samina believed that they were making a quick stop to meet him. During the journey, she called her sister, inquired about her mother, and promised her family that she would be at her parents' home on Boxing Day, which is um, December 26th. However, come Boxing Day, Samina would not turn up. Worried about her disappearance, her family lodged a missing persons report. On 4th January 2015, Samina's car was found on a quiet residential Latin street, 65 miles from Coventry. Her handbags, suitcases, and things she bought, which was the Bellini and the treats, were missing. The police were also unable to find any fingerprints in her car, which they found strange because this was a car. And if you own property or an item, right, your fingerprints are going to be all over it. Mm-hmm. And precisely her car, because she's driving it and whatnot, right? So her fingerprints have to be there, but it was suspicious because they couldn't find any in the car. Furthermore, the driver's seat was pushed far too back for Samina's height. Her body would eventually be found on January 21st in an allotment in Leicester, and um, autopsy would determine that her cause of death was by chloroform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Though before that, the police had already had suspicions that this might be a murder and so called in Roger and David Cooper for questioning. Mm-hmm. After all, Samina's phone data revealed that she had travelled with Roger to Leicester and eventual investigations would locate Samina and David's loft, where they would find a bottle of Bellini in his fridge and snacks in his cupboard. So on January 7th, they were arrested on suspicion of murder. But the question here is, what actually happened to Samina Iman? So let's rewind a little. So Samina was in a relationship with Roger, who was her manager. According to their workplace policy, this was frowned upon. So for two years, the both of them were dating in secret. So they weren't, they were dating in secret 
not only from their workplace, but also from Roger's um, long-term partner. On top of that, on top of Roger having a long-term partner, he was also dating a third woman named Sinead Sweeney. Mm -hmm. You know what else? Yeah, you know what else? Researching this, I was like, first of all, how is he keeping up the rules? Right. Right? Because like, one, a side woman, like one side woman, it's probably a lot of work, but he had two. All the gifts he has to prepare. Precisely. On top of that, he also had to keep a relationship hidden from his superiors at the workplace. (sighs) So I was like, this guy is really on another level. (laughs) So because as we have established, he had to juggle a lot of things. and had a lot of secrets. So things weren't looking so great for Roger. And eventually things reached the boiling point when Samina gave him the ultimatum, right? At this point, Roger realized that if, the, that if their affair was exposed, it would be his it would be the end of his career. Not only that, he didn't want his long-term girlfriend and his third girlfriend to find out about his relationship with Samina. So together with his brother, Roger planned to silence Samina once and for all. Via text, both brothers concocted plans to kill Samina. But here's the kicker, Honda. They used Star Wars as code words for this exchange. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, text messages will reveal phrases such as Death Star Complete, Stay on Target, Stay on Target, Stay on Target, You Are Expected Vader, and they're referred to Samina as Darth Vader. Oh God. I don't know, it's so cringy. It is. It's not even like an objective, right? I don't know, code word or something. <laughs> so, the first attempt on Samina's life was unsuccessful. 12 days before Samina's di- disappearance, so this is December 12th, the brothers attempted to abduct Samina and then murder her. Roger had told mm. Samina to meet him at the Solihull's premiere inn, a place she um, often visited. On the night, she tended to sleep after a Christmas party, but then received a message from Roger saying he had booked a room and that he had a surprise for her. Um, The surprise was that there was no room booked and Roger also was like a no-show. So like, what kind of surprise is that? Um, But when Samina went to the place that um, Roger said he booked, right? David was actually just watching her from his car at the car park waiting for an opportunity to abduct Samina when the time was right. Unfortunately, the plan would fail. David then texted Roger saying, there's no point, no score. The window is closed. The window referring to the window of opportunity. Mm. 12 days later, they would make an attempt on Samina's life once again and unfortunately would succeed this time. Samina was believed to be attacked by David when they reached his home in Leicester at 5 p.m., the two men were taller than her and therefore could easily overpower her on um, David's sofa. They used chloroform, which made 
Um, they use chloroform, which was made out of bizarre ingredients such as antimony, cadmium, tin, mercury, and arsenic. Not mm-hmm. a science person, so I don't know what usually goes into chloroform, but essentially, um, she, I guess, overdosed on it. Mm. Yeah. After the deed was done, Roger left, reaching Coventry by 6.25pm. David was now in charge of David was now in charge of disposing Samina's body. Also, I think this is so iffy. Like, you rally your brother together to <laughs> kill your girlfriend, and then you just leave and make it your brother's problem to dispose of the body. Yeah. That's shitty. It's so shitty. Oh, God. Um, but it gets worse from here. So, Roger needed an alibi. So, he used Samina's phone and sent a text to himself saying, I am fuming. I am going to where I am truly cared for. So, mm-hmm. it, it almost seems like he was... He was trying to make it seem like she was either trying to run away or commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Back in Leicester, David was busy disposing of Selena's body. He transferred her into a grave which was, dug, which was dug in an allotment on Groby Road. He wrapped the body in cling wrap and then shoved it into a sleeping bag before burying it deep underground. Chillingly, a sign hanging from his allotment shed read, Don't wind me up. I'm running out of places to hide the bodies. What? Yikes. Over the next few days, the brothers continued to cover up the crime. They wiped the car down and moved it um, to Leicester from Coventry. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, they moved it from Leicester to Coventry. Her car wasn't... Yeah, sorry. Next up, places. My brain is fried. Um, Roger had actually spent a month planning Samina's murder... In interviews, David would claim that he did not know who Samina was and that she had come to his house in search of Roger. So this is what he said um, during interviews. My brother had been around and then after he went, he just literally gone a minute and the door knocked again and I thought it was him coming back. So I opened the door and normally I wouldn't open the door because I don't like people. Good job, David. I also don't like opening the door for people, but I don't want to have the similarity with you. It was this woman who I knew to be an associate of Roger's. She was like, where's Roger stepping into the house? I was like, he's not here. He's gone. He then alleged that um, he wanted to protect his brother and let him get away from Samina. So he asked her to sit on his sofa and offered her tea, which she declined. He claimed that she was moaning about how she had planted Roger and this was where it gets so freaking stupid and insane because I'm like, oh God. David says that he has a military ammo tin, which has chloroform in it. He'd seen on TV that he could render her unconscious with the chloroform because he was afraid that his neighbors would hear the commotion because he said that his walls were quite thin. He also thought that by chloroforming her, he could keep her quiet until Roger returned. Mm-hmm. This does not make any sense at all. No. I feel like if somebody comes to your house and they're creating a ruckus, I will call the police 
to get them out. I wouldn't want to chloroform them. Yeah. It sounds it so you, dumb. I don't know. It makes you like criminally liable. Precisely. It shows that there was some intent because mm. he was intending to silence her anyway. Ugh. So he says, and I put it on her face, sat on her lap and her arms went up and I forced them down and I just thought just a couple of breaths then I'll ring Roger and tell him. But I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Unfortunately, Samina did not wake up and this was when David knew he was in deep trouble. So he called his friend Ben, he allegedly called his friend, who had a van and used it to dispose Samina's body with. Though initially he said that it had been an accident, later he would come out to say that he'd found her body when asked to move a car, which is even more unbelievable at this point. As for Roger, his third partner would come out to say that he was not as he seemed. During their six months together, he proved to have a darker side, once even telling her not to cross him because he would become a dangerous man when backed into a corner. And that's what Samina did. She backed him into a corner and he did become a dangerous man. Officers were also shocked as to why David Cooper would help to do something as extreme as murdering a woman he's never met just to help his brother. And I don't know, maybe it's it's like familial ties, that kind of thing. Blood is thicker mm. than water. I don't know. Mm. Sounds mm. toxic. Go to therapy, mm. David. During the trial, Judge Patrick QC told the brothers, the use of a poison in a case such as this demonstrates a cold-blooded intention to kill regardless of the consequences. You work together, hand in glove, in planning and carrying out the murder of a joyful and bubbly young woman, brutally betrayed by a man she loved and his brother. And he's completely right. Mm. The trial revealed that Roger had never planned on leaving Susan. Surprise, surprise. And he was frightened that Samira would expose their affair. To prevent this, he, pre- he planned Samina's murder. So on October 21st, 2015, the jury unanimously found the brothers guilty and sentenced them to 30 years in prison each. And that is the murder of Samina Iman. It's so tragic though, because like, ah... I don't think anyone would expect your partner to murder you. It's just very sad. Yeah. But you're so excited to spend the night with him. On Christmas. Yeah, on Christmas I'm all gosh. <sighs> Hana, do you have a creepy, creepy story for us today? Hopefully not too creepy because it's like midnight right now. <laughs> I don't want to deal with something super creepy. It's not creepy, I guess, for me. Okay. Yeah, so are we talking about elves? <gasps> okay, elves. In Iceland. In, okay. Okay. I feel like in my mind, elves are like cute little creatures, <laughs> things with green hats 20 years <laughs> yeah like they're harmless and cute but I know there's like a darker side it's like how like fairies are like super cute but the fae are not so uh-huh. 
Yeah. Um. Well, you're gonna horrify and like frighten me, so that's great. All right, on the. Yeah. So the Hulu folk or hidden people are elves in Icelandic and Faroese folk folklore, and they're supernatural beings that live in nature. Hmm. Okay. Yes. So apparently they look and behave similar to humans, but they live in a parallel world and they can make themselves visible at will. Okay, interesting. I've always thought it was the pixies that went invisible. This could also be just my general knowledge from watching one too many cartoons as a child. So I'm probably wrong. All right, carry on, Honda. Yeah, so the Hulu folk, they live outdoors and they make their homes in the rocks and cliffs in Iceland. Okay. Yeah. So actually a lot of people in Iceland believe in like the existence of elves. Like, according to a study, 32% of Icelanders believe the existence of these beings as like possible, while 24% believe that the existence is either likely or like certain. Oh, dang. 32% is a pretty large number considering the population of Iceland. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to pull up the population of Iceland. I know I know it's oh really my God. small. I think there was this meme that was like, Iceland is made out of like five people. Iceland's population, guys, as of 2020 is 366,425 people. <laughs> Not this. <laughs> Out of which at least half believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, okay. Can't relate that we live in a tiny, tiny, tiny island with six million people. We are overpopulated. <laughs> Iceland, you want to like sh- trade with us maybe? I mean, it will take some time to get used to our climate, but I think we could make it work. I mean, we're overpopulated, but we're also a declining population, so... That's true. There's not enough babies being born. The, to our international viewers, the government pays us to have children. They have all these convoluted things like baby bonus and whatnot. They're literally paying us to have babies. Do it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> universe Honda great joke <laughs> great joke <laughs> yeah so some Icelandic folk even like folk tales caution against throwing stones as they may hit these hidden people yeah so you know they're not exactly creepy they're believed to be peaceful creatures coexisting alongside humans mm-hmm. yeah and they just go about whatever they do <laughs> okay but I sense some but <laughs> Well, I'm, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they are quite celebrated in Iceland, and it's customary for Icelanders to clean and leave food for elves as they believe that they hold parties late at night. And then on New Year's Eve, it is thought that the Hodo folk move to new locations, and as a result, it's traditional to leave candles out to help them find their way. Just mm. quite cute. Yeah, so on another holiday, um, on Midsummer's Night, 
it's believed that standing at a crossroads during late hours may be may bring wandering for the folk who will lure you with gifts and money. However, it's believed that these taking these gifts will lead to misfortune. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there was a story from this Icelandic singer-songwriter who would play in a field when she was younger, and she believed that she had an encounter with the Hodu folk. When she was playing um, in a field, though, she noticed that there was one rock that was you know, bigger than the other rocks in that same field. Okay. And you know, I said early, earlier that they do live in rocks and cliffs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was certain that it was an elf rock and that you know, she knew that she shouldn't disturb the elves. So, but then she, when she, you know, she's young, so she climbed on top of the rock. And then while she was on top of it and she jumped down, she, when she landed, she bit the inside of her mouth. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So, you know, she, it, she bit so hard that there was a lot of blood pouring out. Okay. As somebody Which, who frequently you know, bites the inside of her mouth, it's, ugh, I don't, I mean, I don't bite into this blood, but it hurts a lot. Yeah. And imagine jumping down and you actually bite on the Yeah, oh my god, cheek. Oh my god. Yeah, so, you know, after the experience, she never touched that rock again. Oh god. The elves yeah, really punished her. Mm-hmm. They punished her. Yeah, they were yeah. like, you're about to fall and bite your own mouth and bleed <laughs> everywhere. Another famous story revolving around elves is in the 1930s, the government was trying to connect the outlying town of Kopavagor with the capital with the capital of Reykjavik. I don't so know sorry for the pronunciation. <laughs> so sorry. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, as road construction when the road was being constructed, the crews um continuously ran into trouble because of Alfo, a sizable rock known as Alf Hill. Yeah, the, the rock sat right in the midst of the planned route and had to be either broken or removed to continue. And something that the construction crew didn't want to deal with. And then a decade decade later, the construction equipment was continuously like you know broken or lost. Oh and yikes. Yeah, so the crews always have to abandon the project, you know, every time it happened. And then by the late 1980s, it was decided to level the hill, but two drills broke when workers tried to pour through the rock. Okay, yeah. You know it's time to stop when a freaking drill breaks. <laughs> and this one, like, two broke. Yeah, news reporters even, like, you know, they faced trouble when they were covering the problem. They found that the cameras couldn't work when they were trying oh to film. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, these troubles were finally, you know, resolved when... The routing of the road, you know, it, they instead, uh, they plan it like around the rock instead of mm. going through the rock. Yeah. And now that our fall is now protected as a cultural heritage. Wow. Yeah. And another expansion plan for another highway near Reykjavik <laughs> encountered a series of misfortunes in the early 1970s. When it was discovered that an elf rock known as Grestein was in the way, and a medium was even called to, you know, obtain permission to move it. Okay. I feel yeah, like... permission was granted, but unfortunately, the rock broke in the process. 
No. So maybe like the elf vacated and, you know, the rock just gave way. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then that night, one of the equipment operators who helped reset the gas tank accidentally drove a bulldozer across the water supply line to a fish farm where a thousand of fishes did not survive. Oh, God. Ooh. That reminds me of the, the story I covered last time in Japan about the, the Hitler's samurai where ah. they tried to like level his like resting place and then like all the construction, you know, they can't, they get cursed and the equipment start failing. Then no one dares to try and like do anything with it. Wasn't it uh, Tarano Masakado? Yeah. Yeah. The, he like still haunts me until today. I had a whole bunch <laughs> of misfortune, remember, after I made fun of him. Oh my God. Never making that mistake again. I'll bring you to his site, like his resting site <laughs> one day. But yeah, this is the story of the elves in Iceland. And it's quite interesting how, you know, I guess it makes you, makes the people there like appreciate their environment since they're so careful. Yeah. And I think a lot of these beliefs are, you know, for that reason to take care of the environment. Yeah. I was, I was usually going to point out that there's something very ecological, not to sound like that person, about these elves. It's, I mean, the whole thing is about protecting the natural environment, right? And if you see, like the the stories you just said, right, are instances in which us humans are literally encroaching upon the natural environment and we're destroying it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is met in resistance by these elves. And I think that's just so beautiful. The the very fact that, in a way, nature is fighting back. Like, these elves are fighting back against our capitalistic destruction of the, envi- yeah, of the environment. So, you know what? Congratulations <laughs> to these ecological elves. Y'all should met. I mean, like, y'all, y'all should go to the UN and like fight for oh the environmental God. cause because they don't care. Yeah, like I was like looking at pictures, and then like they really do like the people there create like um, houses, mm-hmm. and like like small on the cliffs, like, on the base, like small houses for the elves. So it's cute. really cute. Like out of stone. No, it's like literally, it's, it literally looks like a mini house. Like, so, like that. Oh my god, those are so cute. It's giving right. me... It's giving me Animal Crossing vibes. It's like, like that small. You know? Oh my god, they're so cute. They're like little... They're like actual little like houses. Like, <laughs> so cute. Look at the little kitty. Oh my. Yeah, like... Oh no, this rock one's cute. So cute. I mean, I think that's the rock where the elves are housing. Respect the elves or else. <laughs> Respect the elves and they'll come for your mouth, unfortunately. Well, thank you, Honda, for the um Icelandic elves. A wholesome story. <laughs> I mean, more of a story is please don't destroy the environment. Please recycle. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and click that follow button on Spotify.
You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HGU Podcast. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned to our New Year special. It's going to be exciting. So see you then. Bye. Bye.